Oh, Father God, I just thank you that you allow us the privilege of gathering in your name. I pray that we would spend time soaking in your spirit as we worship you in your word. It makes absolutely no sense, Lord, for us to be here this morning except that you are worthy of it all. So, Lord, let us live lives that have been transformed by your glory. We are unworthy vessels, but God, rich in mercy, to show your great love for us, made us alive. You made us alive. So let us live, Lord. Let us live as transformed beings because of what your grace has done to us. And let that grace shine through us. For the fame and the glory of your name we pray these things. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please have a seat, which is a weird thing to say. Because normally I would say, please remain standing. But we already did that part this morning. Um, Find Matthew chapter 3. That's where we're going to be. Um, I know many of us are sitting here in very different places. Like with Jesus, in our walk with Jesus. And so some of you may not even, may not yet know Jesus. Some of you may have known him for a while, but you're still sort of in that um, uh, questioning stage. And we're, and we're all kind of at different places. And, and, and part of what I see going on in our culture, and frankly even going on in this church in Cross Train, is as times get harder, as, um, as the world gets more distracting, as as the enemy seems to be growing in power, things like discouragement grow more and more, like pervasive. And so I wanted to start our time today just as, as those of us who are already saved but are admittedly struggling. Some of you may be listening online, some of you may pick this up later in our podcast, but, but maybe, maybe why you're not here this morning is because you're just struggling. But many of us who made the effort to be here this morning, are struggling. Because it just seems like that's sort of the condition of the world. But it's always been so, and we need to remember that. But so the, question, the first question I want to ask you today, our first talking points question is, why, why are, are there things that cause us to struggle? Specifically, what are some things that cause us to, to question the assurance of our salvation? Like, we know the end of the story. Right, we just sang it. We've already read it this morning. We've talked about it. We're gonna, we, we know how the story ends. We know that Jesus is victorious. We know this fight for kingdom is not even a fair fight. It's not an equal battle against opposing forces. But it is a battle. So why in the, when we're on the winning team, why do, we, why do I struggle so hard to remember that? I'm asking. Human. We give into a world, the worldview. So, so, so what Kim just said, we give into a worldview which, which frankly feeds our humanity because our, our, our not yet fully redeemed selves are, are much more eager to lean into the, the world's view than to lean into the gospel truth. We just, we are. Our redeemed selves will lean into the gospel truth, but our not yet fully re- restored selves don't. So when we hear a worldview 
that is different, our tendency is to lean, and we have to acknowledge that, even as believers, our tendency is to lean that way. What is leaning into a, in a worldly worldview? What is that, what, practically, what does that look like? What kinds of ways does that look? I didn't know that's the way the conversation was going to go, but let's go with it. Politics. Okay, so our, and, and, and pol- we've talked about this a lot. Pol- I mean, we, we need to be engaged in politics. I, we, Christians should be running for office, but we should not allow that to consume or define us. Good, what else? Sports. Okay, yeah, how many people are not here this morning or not in churches? I, I don't know if this applies to our church as much because maybe the one guy it applies to is here this morning. Um, but, um, just kidding, Josh. Um, but how many people are not in church this morning because the Cardinals play at 10 a.m.? And they stink. And I'm a fan. Right? Okay, so like things like sports distract us. What else? Where we find our identity. Right? And, and, and like that, that is, I think, where social media, and again, I'm, I'm on social media. I'm not anti-social media. But, but that is definitely where the power of social media really takes hold. Because it has, it has given us, it has given the enemy audience into our lives like in, in ways that, that are not obviously of him that have caused us to redefine our identity. Guys, scrolling, every time we're scrolling through our Facebook or our Instagram or whatever it is, it, it is discipling us. You never leave those moments neutral, ever. Right? So, so that's, that's a huge part of it. Any other things that cause us to doubt our assurance that, that, that we are, that he is who he says he is, that we are who we, he says we are, and that we are fully and freely and forever forgiven, why is that so hard for us to believe? I failed again. Right? It's just that, it's that idea like, like oh man, but, but God, you know me. Because here, here's the thing. If you, if you get nothing else out of this morning, here's what I want you to know. That God not only loves you, he likes you. God not only, I, I, think, I think it's easier for me, even though I failed again, even though I'm struggling, even though I'm doubting, I think it's easier for me to believe that God loves me, even though that was hard for me to believe for a lot of my life. I didn't even believe there was a God. But even when I came to believe it, I'm like, I don't know how, how you could love me. I think once you know the gospel, you hear the gospel, you, maybe you've been in church for a little while, it's easier for me to believe that that God loves me almost like it's out of, I wouldn't say it this way because it sounds black, but almost like out of obligation. Like he's, I mean, look at everything. I mean, he sent Jesus to, like, he's obligated now to love me because he sent his son to die for me. But he doesn't like me. How could he possibly like me? He knows what I did last night. You know, it's, 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 I talk about that with my, like, I, I joke about that, sadly, probably need to stop doing that, can't say that I will, but I joke about that with my daughters. I'd be like, yeah, I love you, I just don't like you right now, because there's maybe some conflict we're having, right? But I think we've, I, I joke, I joke about that with my daughters, but I think we, we buy, we believe that in our souls with God, like, like we believe as, as Christians, we believe, okay, yeah, yeah, I, I get that God loves me, and he sent his son to die for me, and I'm not even belittling that, I'm thanking him for that, I'm praising him for that, but I just don't think he likes me, and what that does is that causes us to treat God like this, even though, and, and to see him like he's treating us like this, even though what's really supposed to be happening is he's calling us to come to him. 
to bring that stuff. To remember there's nothing, he, there's nothing you can do this morning, this evening, this week, this month, this year that's going to make him like you less. God likes you. He doesn't just love you. If you get nothing else out of that, then, then try to remember this morning, then try to remember that. So we're in this series that we're calling um, the Kingdom of Heaven, and, and we're actually in week six of this series. And today we're going to be talking about doing things right. And, and the reason I'm, I, I said that is because Jesus is, or the reason I called the, t- the, the messages is because Jesus is very intentionally going to show us that we're, we're in the scene where Jesus gets baptized. And, and he's going to show us that the, the only reason he's doing it is to model righteousness, is to model doing things right. But he's not talking about moral behavior, he's talking about believing in God's story. And we're going to see that as we go through this today. But I think... It's so easy for us to turn doing things right into some sort of moral scorekeeping. And God is not a moral scorekeeper. Praise Jesus. I mean, he kept score. But now, in Christ, the score is 100% victory to zero defeat. Right? Because the score is kept at the cross. And that's where victory is found. Right, so we've been in that, so we've so, so we've seen, and so I'm, I'm part of why I'm excited about today's message is um, we we finally actually see Jesus. You know, we've talked about kingdom, we've talked about prophecy, we've talked about um, how right from the beginning Jesus being born as a baby, he's persecuted, and then last week we even talked about this idea that um, that 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 we need that that part of the plan was for God to prepare a way, and John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer shows up, and starts baptizing people into a baptism of repentance, a baptism um, of, of kind of looking ahead at what is to come, and now we're going to jump into this part about how, um, about Jesus getting baptized. But the preaching moment, so, so this is all about Jesus. All of this is all about Jesus. But the preaching moment, what we're here today to do, my job as it's given to me by the Lord, is to, is to first and foremost stay true to the word of God, right? Is to preach God's word in its entirety, but to do it in a way that intersects with your soul and my soul. So the question I'm asking today, we're going to learn from Jesus the answer to this question, even as it sort of plays out in his life. So it's this intersection of the story with, okay, how does this matter in our lives? So the question is, how do we know we're his? How do we know and then keep knowing that we're his? And we're going to look at, in this short passage, we're going to look at the assurance of the Son, the assurance of the Spirit, and the assurance of the Father. Those are our three points today. So with that, and they're going to go fairly fast. So with that, um, let's look at the, the first part. How do we know we're his? Like how do we really, how do we know that we know that we know that we're really his? Well, the first thing is the assurance of the Son. So let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 3 and starting in verse 13. It says, then Jesus came to Galilee, to, came from Galilee to the Jordan. So he's coming south to John. That's, and we're picking it up where we left off. We left John the Baptist baptizing people in a baptism of repentance, a, a baptism of preparation. So he came to be baptized by him. So the first thing I want to point out in that, in that first verse, verse 13, is Jesus came willingly. Like Jesus wasn't forced to come to get baptized. He came on purpose for a purpose. So that, should, so that should inform everything else that we read in these next few verses. Why would Jesus come willingly? And here's why, in a short answer. Because he wants to identify himself with sinners. What was John's baptism? A baptism of what? I've already said it. 
Repentance. Did Jesus have anything to repent of? No. Does John know that yet? That's a trick question because the answer is no. As I was studying this, and we'll see it in the next point, is, is at this point, John does not know who Jesus is. And I get ahead of myself. Well, I know. So I, when I first, I'm like, well, wait a minute. What in the world? He, he has massive respect for Jesus, but he does not yet know that he is the Son of God, even though he is a prophet of God. And I'll show you where I get that. We'll, we'll get there in just a minute. Like I said, we'll be in, in the Gospel of John, and that's where we kind of see that here in a few minutes. But Jesus came willingly that he might identify with sinners by being human, but he is not a sinner. So it's what Paul says in, a, in Philippians chapter 2. So in a, if you're taking notes, it'll come up on the screen. But in Philippians chapter 2, he, Paul says it this way. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And he, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess on and under the earth. That means the angels, the demons, every human, everywhere will confess that Jesus is Lord to glory, to the glory of God the Father. Someday that will become incredibly evident. Someday that, and we'll see that in just a few minutes. But, but guys, right, but get this. He, it, this is what, this passage in Philippians is what's called the kenosis passage. It's talking about how, how is Jesus fully man and fully God? And the answer is he was, he's always ever been and still is fully God. But he chose to put on flesh. And what happens is, we talked about this a little bit last week, about how Jesus grows in wisdom and knowledge. It's not that he stopped, it's not that he had to let go of some of his knowledge as God. He didn't let go of any of his godness. It's, we can't really, we don't really understand the kenosis, the incarnation. How can you be fully man and fully God? But, but the way I've heard it explained that made the most sense to me is, Jesus never gave, when it says emptied himself, it's, it's an emptying by addition. So he doesn't empty himself by letting go of his godness, because otherwise he would not be fully God. If any part of his godness he let go of, he's now no longer a, a, a worthy sacrifice, because he's not God. He puts on the flesh, and that flesh veils his godness. Not only to us, like they're looking at him and they're going, you don't look like God, except for like on the Mount of Transfiguration, that veil gets like moved a little bit. But, but what it, it, it actually veiled it to him. That's what Paul means by emptied. So his, his humanity had times where it got in the way of his divinity. So he didn't always know everything while he was here. Not because he was no longer God, but because our, his flesh was getting in the way. But he had to put on flesh in order to be the model for us. And that's, what, and that's ultimately what verse 13 is, is alluding to. He's saying that, that Jesus willingly came to a baptism for repentant sinners because he wanted to model, I am, I am your representative. I am going through your baptism because ultimately the baptism I'm going to undergo, you can't undergo. So let's pick it up in verse 14. It says, John would have prevented him, isn't that interesting, 
How would God, why would God, if John knew he was the son of God, he wouldn't, probably would not have prevented him. But it says, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? He's saying, I, like, because here's, here's who he knew Jesus was. His cousin, and a really important rabbi, and somebody that, that was prophesied about. But he didn't yet know that he was fully the son of God. He is... He's showing that that um, that he's um, let me let me let me back up a step. What Je- what Jesus is trying to do here for John is affirm John's ministry. So John is saying, "I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me." And and what he's and what Jesus says, he goes on to say, "No, let it be so." In verse fifteen, let it be so that, that because it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness, he's saying, "Not only am am I are, am I um, the fulfillment, am I taking the place of the sinner, but I'm actually showing everybody that what you're asking people to do, repent." For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. By me being baptized, I'm affirming that ministry. I'm affirming that yes, we need to repent, and yes, we need um, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's showing he's showing us, I guess by um, by default, th- that that John was right. That there is a need for repentance. That there is a need for um, for us to prepare ourselves for the kingdom. Because John's baptism was a baptism of preparation. Jesus. And the baptism we're, about, we're going to celebrate after the message today is a, is a message of proclamation. What Jesus is saying is, I need to be baptized so that I can show the world this is what God did. That's ultimately where all this kind of flows, in, or flows into. So, Jesus is IDing himself with sinners, but not as a sinner. Because he wants to show us, and to well, show John, and then by, by default us, that he is identifying with who we are. That he is a worthy human sacrifice. Does that, sort of, does, that, does that sort of make sense? Now, where do I get this idea that you say, well, when, when John was talking about, um, wait, I should be baptized by you. What, what, is that, like, like what is that about? Keep your finger in Matthew chapter 3 and turn to John chapter 1. Go to the right of where we are and turn to John chapter 1. Because I, th- it's, th- I don't want you to get lost in this. Like my brain is kind of getting lost in it right now as I'm trying to figure out the best way to explain it. But I want you to understand that, that John knew Jesus to be special, but not yet the Son of God. And I want to show you why that's true, and frankly, why that matters. So look at John chapter 1 and verse 19. It says this, And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? So John has been baptizing. We saw that last week. They, they send some people to go, hey, who are you bapti- why are you baptizing? We, again, we saw that, Matthew talks about that as well. And then it says, he confessed and did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ, or I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, well then, are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. And then they said, are you, a pro- are you the prophet? And he said, no. They said, well, who are you? We need, to answer, we need an answer so we can go back to the people who sent us. Who, what do you say about yourself? And he said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. And that Matthew, ta- Matthew quotes that passage in Isaiah as well. So it's the same story from a slightly different perspective. But now look at the part that John adds. It says, now they were sent by the Pharisees. And in verse 25 it says, they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither Christ 
nor Elijah, nor the prophet. And John answered, I baptize with water. Same answer he gives to them in Matthew. But, but one will come to, by who, which I am unworthy to untie the strap of their sandal. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Go back to verse 25. He says, he's saying, it, they're asking him, if you're not the Christ or the Messiah, and you're not Elijah, and you're not the prophet, then what are you doing? And here's the problem. They had some really bad theology. So we'll see this throughout the, the um, throughout this, uh, the, the, this, pa- this series in, in Matthew. But what, what ends up happening, or what, what God's people were waiting for, is they were waiting for the deliverer. But they thought the deliverer was going to be a couple of different people. So part of what happens, like in, in um, I think it's in, I think I had it written down, yeah, in Luke chapter 7. So in Luke chapter 7, when John the Baptist later, late, way ahead in time, goes, sends some of his disciples to Jesus and says, are you the one we've been waiting for? I always thought what, what John the Baptist meant was he started to doubt Jesus' identity. What he's, what he's asking there is, wait a minute, what I was waiting for is I was waiting for the Messiah, the Moses figure, to come set up a government. And, he's, and what he's asking, he, and, and, and he comes to believe that that's who Jesus is, the Messiah. But what he's asking at that scene later in life that we'll get to eventually is he says, but are you also the prophet? Because they thought it was going to be a separate person. They thought there was going to be this Messiah figure that was going to set up the government. And then there was going to be this Elijah figure that was going to judge everybody like Elijah did on Mount Carmel. So, so, what, so when he says, are, you, are, are we still waiting for another one? He's actually asking, are we waiting for the second person? And, 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 and part of why we know that that's what he's asking is how does Jesus answer him in that scene in Luke? Anybody remember when John says, are you the one we've been waiting for? What does Jesus say? What kind of answer does he give him? He says, tell John this, the blind see, the lame walk, the dead rise. Well, who did those things? Elijah. So he gives John an, a prophet answer. He's saying, I am the fulfillment of both of these things. But, but at the point that John is baptizing Jesus, he doesn't know it yet. Right? He doesn't know yet that, that Jesus is who he says he is. And Jesus is affirming John's ministry. He's saying, I know you don't get it yet, John. I know you don't know everything there is to know about me in the gospel, but I'm going to affirm that you're doing the right thing. Why does Jesus do that? Because that's who Jesus is. That's what he's doing in your life and in my life. Jesus is, he, he is saying, if you will find your identity in me, I will re-identify you. And if you'll let me, I will continually affirm you just like he did to John. And here's the other thing. Here's the beautiful part. As little Christs, as Christians, guess what our ministry is? To affirm one another. Like, that's not all of our ministry, but that's a huge part of it. Like, we are called to speak words of life over each other. So how are we doing? Probably not well when I look at my daughters and I go, I love you, I just don't like you right now. That's probably not a word of life. In fact, I know it's not a word of life. So here's what I want you to do. You were given on the way in. You were given this little yellow card. Some of you have probably already figured this out. The second talking points question says, how can we help one another be more assured in our walk with Jesus? Well, guys, in a world where we, where we started, why is it so hard to keep our assurance? Because of 
the distractions of the enemy, because we're fallen, we're broken, we know our own mistakes, because we're looking at the wrong place for our identity. Guys, we have got to find ways as Christians to counteract that. One is what I talked about during the training time, being in God's word every day, redefining yourself by the word of God. But another huge one is for us to be able to help each other. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to, to you're all handed one of these things that says, I see Jesus in you. I want you to, we're going to take just a minute right now. I want you to just pray. Like who's some, Maybe it's somebody you're sitting next to. Maybe it's somebody across the room. Maybe it's somebody at work you want to give it to. Maybe it's a, a classmate. Uh, like there are more copies out on the, connect, on the connect table. Take some with you. But I want to encourage you to, like, to add this idea to your ministry. Like how are, some of you are already doing this in wonderful ways. But how are you speaking words of life and affirmation over other people? Because the world is beating us down. The enemy is trying to discourage us. And we need real, tangible ways of counteracting that. So I'm just going to pray real quick. Father, I just thank you for um, the the truth that you do affirm us. And that you give us a, a ministry of affirmation. So I pray right now that you would put in our minds, each of us in here, somebody that we could just write two or three sentences to that would encourage their soul in Jesus' name. So just take a minute, and and as you think about somebody, just write down um, something that you've seen them do, and then you can give it to them if they're here, give it to them today. If they're not, give it to them later, um, however the Lord would see fit. But just take a minute and do that. Okay, so I'll let you, you have some time later, but let's, we're going to keep moving in the interest of time. I want to get to this to baptism. So, so we're asking the question, so how do you know that we're his? Well, one, we, we look for and listen for the affirmation of the Son of God. The second thing is we look for the affirmation of the Holy Spirit. We look for the affirmation of the Holy Spirit, and that's just one verse, so it's going to go quickly. So look at verse 16 of Matthew chapter 3. I think I left you in John. Go back to Matthew 3, and look at, let's look at verse 16 together. It says, and when Jesus was baptized, so Jesus, so, so John consents, baptizes Jesus, isn't yet sure exactly who Jesus is. And it says, and when John was, Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. So guys, I, like, so this idea of like, he saw the heavens open to him. It's this picture of, so we talk about the already not yet. Right, there's this picture of there's this there's the spiritual kingdom that we've already been transferred into, and there's the physical kingdom that we're not yet like fully redeemed out of or fully restored out of. And so what happens in that moment when it talks about the the um, the heavens opening up is this physical world gets a glimpse into the spiritual. We see that throughout scripture. If you remember in Acts chapter seven when Stephen is getting stoned, like killed by people throwing stones at him, not stone like we think of it today. He's getting stoned, and, and it says, and what does Stephen, Stephen say? He looks up and he says, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. 
Right? In Revela- now, now, now look at this scene in Revelation chapter 19. And this is just two places where it talks about the heavens opening. It says, then I saw the heavens opened, and behold, a white horse. So this spiritual kingdom opens up to the physical, and a white horse. And one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Obviously, it's speaking of Jesus. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white robes. What that scene is describing is the time in the future when the spiritual comes back with Jesus, and he makes everything unified again. That final judgment. That's the beginning of that process. Then look at one more thing in that verse. Uh, and the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove coming to rest on him. It doesn't say it, doesn't say, um, it was a dove. It says like a dove. It's this idea of the Holy Spirit coming down. And we don't know exactly what it was like. What, what we do know is doves were a signification of speed. They were a signification of comfort. They were a, signica- a, sig- a signification of gentleness. And they were a signification of peace in their culture. So to use the word dove would at least be describing it came down in those ways. But ultimately, he's saying it, they descended on him. It descended on him like a dove, not as a dove, but like a dove, and it, and um, and came to rest on him. Now let me show you. This is when G- John finally gets it. So let me show you. So go back to John. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, which, by the way, if you didn't know this, the Gospel of John is not written by John the Baptist. It's written by the Apostle John. So don't let the Johns confuse you. But let's go back to John, chapter 1, and let's pick it up. Because this is where I, where like that aha moment, I probably learned it in a class and just forgot it. But when I was studying this passage, again, I'm like, wow, that's really cool. So what's this affirmation of the Holy Spirit? This is what John is waiting for. He had not yet seen the affirmation of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' life. So when Jesus walks up and says, baptize me, John doesn't know it. How do I know that? Look at verse 29. The next day. The next day after what? The next day after he baptized Jesus is when he looks and and Jesus comes back the next day. And he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's when he knows who Jesus is. But how does he know that's who Je- that Jesus is? Now he knows Jesus is the Son of God. How does he know it? Well, he tells us. Look at what it says in verse 30. This is whom I said, after me comes one who ranks before me because he was before me. Again, Matthew talked about that. That's not new. I myself did not know him. Well, he was his cousin. He's not talking like literally. He's saying, I didn't know who he was, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he, the Messiah, might be revealed. How? Verse 32, and John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend on him like a dove, and it remained on him, stayed on him, never left him. And I myself did not know him, but but the one who sent me to baptize with water said, here's how you're going to know the Messiah. The one on whom the Spirit descends and remains This is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And then he says, and I have seen and bore witness that he is the Son of God. So he doesn't know when he's baptizing Jesus, this is who, because he's still doing this baptism of repentance, of preparation. He sees the Holy Spirit descend on Jesus, and he's like, 
and stay there. And he's like, this is what God has done. And from that point on, baptism is a baptism of proclamation. Of saying, this is what God has done. And that's what we're going to see here in just a minute. And it's a proclamation of a renewing of the Holy Spirit. And so part of your affirmation, we talked about this, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, part of your affirmation as a believer is how we define ourselves by our behavior, but letting our behavior, our fruit in keeping with repentance, is spiritual fruit. So your last talking points question is this. So let's go back to the, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Which of those fruits... Do you need the Holy Spirit to work on you the most as you sit here today? I'm not asking for input. I'm not asking you to raise your hand. I'm not asking for you to share. I am asking for you to think about it. The list is up there. Take just a minute. Write down one or two of those words. And then throughout this week, pray. Pray. That the assurance of your salvation would be affirmed to you. Because you see evidence of that fruit in your life. Because just like we can point to each other and go, man, I I see Jesus in you when you give your life so selflessly for your grandkids. Right? That's speaking words of life over Ray and Angie. And we need to do more of that. We also need to see the Holy Spirit working in our own lives. But so, and, and he always is. We're just unaware of it most of the time. Why? Because we're not asking like specific things. Our prayers are just so massive. Lord, make me more like Jesus. Okay, great prayer. But but how do you know when he's doing it? But if you say, if you say, Holy Spirit, I, I need you to I need you to make me more loving. And then throughout that week, you actually are, are seeing that fruit made evident. You go, there's a there's an assurance of your salvation for you. And that leads us to our last point. So we have, so how do we know we're really his one? The affirmation of the Son, the affirmation of the, of the Spirit, and the last one is the affirmation of the Father. And it's our last verse. And we're going to begin to land this plane already with this one verse. And he says, Matthew, so I'm back in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, and it says, so at, it says, and behold, a voice from heaven says, this is, my, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And I would be remiss, this isn't a message about the Trinity, but I would be remiss in, in not mentioning that, oh, by the way, this passage proves the Trinity. There are people that profess faith in Christ that, don't, that are not Trinitarian. They don't believe in the Father, Son, and Spirit. That's been true from the, literally, it was, one, it was the first heresy of the church. Well, the first was that Jesus wasn't really God. The second was that there wasn't really a trinity. Guys, right here we have all three persons of the Godhead in one place at one time. God the Son, God the Spirit, and God the Father all in one place. How do you explain that unless he is one God in three persons? So that's one. That, so right there, that's not really the point that I'm trying to make today. But, but the point what I, I want to point out is, so a voice from heaven, he says, at the, it says, a voice from heaven was said. Now we can read a verse like, or a, a little line like that. A voice from heaven said. Guys, understand this. God had been silent for 400 years at this point. They had not heard a thing. Crickets. And then God speaks for the first time in 400 years. And he says, this is my son. Here's what he's saying. I am doing a new thing. And, and it changes 
everything. About, frankly, everything. And then he finishes with, and I am well pleased in him. And there's a couple other times where this happens, where a voice from heaven comes down and speaks about Jesus. One of them is on the Mount of Transfiguration, and they go up, and James and John are, 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 um, are there up there. Peter, James, and John are up there, and they see Elijah and Moses, and, and they see Jesus with the veil kind of coming off, and the Transfiguration is happening, and, the, and he's glowing. And Peter's like, oh, we'll make, you some, we'll make you some tents so you can stay the night. And, and this voice from heaven comes out and says the same thing he says here, except he adds something. He says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then, he, and then God adds an emphatic Listen to him. Listen to him. Stop trying to do things in your own strength and just listen to the voice of God. Like, listen to who he is. But guys, understand this. He, he describes him as God. The Father describes, I am well pleased about the Son. And that's how he defines he is well pleased with you and I. Back to my point about we have a hard time believing that God likes us. He is well pleased. But you say, yeah, but wait a minute. How can he be well pleased with me because I know I'm such a mess? How can he be well pleased because I know I, I'm still struggling? How can he be well pleased because I know my life is, is so hard right now? If he was really well pleased with me, then things would be going better for me. Except for this, the way he's well pleased with you and I didn't come cheap. Because the way he was well pleased with his son, what did it look like to be well pleased with Jesus? Isaiah 53 Right, and it was, and Isaiah 53 says that it was, but the Lord was pleased to crush him. Wait a minute, this is the one in whom he's well pleased. If he's well pleased to crush him, well, like, like how, how, if he's well pleased in him, why is he crushing him? Because the only way he can be well pleased with you and I is through that crushing. That's what the rest of Isaiah 53 talks about. It's by his wounds we are healed. It's by his crushing that we get his righteousness applied to our lives. But the question becomes, do we believe that? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomsoever would believe in him, that God was pleased in him and pleased to crush him, would not die but have everlasting life. Yeah, okay, I, yeah, I believe that God loved the world, but do I believe that God likes me? Do, I, do you believe God likes you? David, the, sol, uh, the, the, the psalmist, the king, he's like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's reminding himself of that. He's pleased with me. He says, he has anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows, he says at the end of Psalm 23. Surely goodness and God's mercy will pursue me all the days of my life. Why does David believe that? Because even though David knew he was a sinner, he understood that it wasn't about him. Guys, get this. This whole story, Jesus' baptism, the whole Bible is about Jesus. But Jesus' coming is about you. It's about me. It's about us. Jesus did not have to come. God did not have to redeem. He not only loves you, he likes you. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for um, your pursuing grace. But I know that um, I'm not doing justice to what you have done 
in justifying us to you. But I don't know that a preacher could. So Lord, I do pray right now that the power of the Spirit would just move on hearts in this room and in the sound of my voice, regardless of what room they're in. Lord, I pray that we would remember that we are called children of God, that we are sons and daughters. That you not only love us, but you do like us. You invite us into fellowship with you. That's what the cross did. It's where we started, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made us alive. It's what baptism signifies. It's why Jesus willingly went to be baptized, just to model it. To say, identify yourself with me. Identify yourself with the kingdom, with kingdom glory. Identify yourself with the story that my Father is telling. Let, let me be crushed for you. And so he died a death that we deserve so that we could live his life. So as I prayed at the beginning, let us live, Lord, in Jesus' name.